so easy for them to go, Jono, you are so annoying. What are you still doing around? They kept encouraging me. And the fact I would just hear Sam lead the service and still just pouring out encouragement. And I just think you are such a blessed church to have this amazing couple here who for years have been faithfully serving the call in their life. And now you get them as your pastors here, which is, it's such a huge blessing. And so I honor you both so much. Thank you for being obedient to where God's led you. And I tell you, you, this is an amazing, amazing church. I absolutely love and adore uh, your main senior pastors, pastors Mark and Lee Ramsey. And just what I was um, just worshiping with you guys and singing together, I just felt like in my heart this this thing spring up, particularly in your your theme, Land of the Dreamer, which I think is just brilliant, particularly this time of the year. Um, I just felt like there are a heap of dreams that have been dreamt and prayed for for decades. And I just felt, that's why that word you just preached out about in due season, reap a harvest. I just felt as soon as you said that, like my spirit just went boom. And that this, you're coming into a due season of prayers that were prayed 30 years ago for this region and this area. Prayers that almost lay dormant underneath this carpet. I don't know what's underneath this carpet, but I think when you rip it up and pay for a new one, it's going to be like, <laughs> there you go. But I just feel you guys are going to be the generation that sees the answers to prayers that were prayed even 20, 30 years ago. So do not grow weary. This is an incredible couple to get behind. So fresh, so full of vision. And I would any day be behind uh, young leaders who are fresh and full of vision than the opposite, someone who is stale and have no vision. So I love you guys. It's an honor to be able to stand on this platform and see this miracle in two years. Far out. Um, that's, that's absolutely huge. So it's great to be here. Um, I've got, brought my friend Jamie, as we introduced him before. He's, he's from Britain. So he oversees youth young adults for, for INC, the movement I guess we're all part of, uh, in the UK, doing a great job. Uh, I'm just ministering to him after their atrocious loss in the rugby and just trying to put my arm around him and encourage him. It's funny, every time the Poms lose at sport, they don't care about that sport. We don't care about rugby. And I like, you wouldn't be saying that. Anyways. So, uh, God bless him. Any other Poms here? Any other Brits? Anyone? Great. God bless you. God bless you. Yes. My wife, my wife's, my wife is a Brit, and um, she's, she's the best of the lot. So, I miss her very much. We had our four-year anniversary last week, which is pretty cool. You know, it's funny. No one claps when you say that. If I add an O at the end, everyone would be like, wow, it's amazing. No one cares. Four years. Oh, it's all right. Well, it's been, we've loved it, okay? Um, <laughs> I'm applauding myself, it's so good. So, um, but see, this is why Land of the Dream is such a big thing. I remember, um, I remember just dreaming about being married. And I was a single, single guy growing up. And, um, and sometimes dreams are all you get. And so I'm so grateful I found the woman of my dreams. It's, a, um, it's important. Um, do you guys, any who dreams? Who like dreams every night? Anyone, anyone have dreams? Who is the undreamer? Who married to the person who never dreams? Okay, so my wife like doesn't dream. And every morning, like I wake up, it's like a, it's like a full on blockbuster every night in my head when I sleep. It's, I look forward to falling asleep. Oh, I don't know what's going to happen. It's like a new series, a new episode of Home and Away or something. I don't watch it. But. And so usually in the morning I wake up, oh, it's great. And I wake Chloe up, wake up. And joking. And, and I always ask, how'd you sleep? You know, did you have a nice sleep? Um, and I always tend to ask, did you have a dream? And she'll always say, no, didn't dream. And she, she just doesn't dream. And she's not a dreamer. I don't know what that means. Maybe you've got a psychology background here and you're already like assessing my marriage and my wife because she doesn't dream and I do. Needless to say, just this week, um, 
you know, woke her up, good morning. I always, always wake up a long time before her, and I usually wake her up with a nice cup of tea and wake up, darling, and how's your day? How was your sleep? How was your day? It always starts nice. And anyway, so I go, how'd you sleep? She slept good, and you know, just chatting. And she gives me this weird look, and she goes, well? I'm like, well, what? She goes, I'm like, what? She goes, are you going to ask if I had a dream or not? I was like, okay, did you have a dream? Well, yes, I did. And she, anyway, some, some dream didn't make sense, but it's funny that the one time I didn't ask about it, she had a dream. She had a dream. Um, yeah, I'm an overreactor. I'm Italian. And so we make, we make a bigger fuss. Are you Italian? Are you Sicilian? Oh, you are? Oh, God bless you. Anyone like Italian food? Yeah, okay, cool. You're welcome. So, so my, my last name's Gulo. Uh, Queenslanders are okay at pronouncing Gulo. Um, New South Welshmen, they're not, they're not very good at many things, but particularly not pronouncing my last name. So usually, I grew up in New South Wales, and I got no problem taking the mic out of Welshman because I grew up in primary school in New South Wales in the 90s, where Queensland always lost the state of origin, and so I was persecuted. So I've got a lot of years to make up for all that, um, all that trauma. But they could never pronounce my last name. They always pronounce it like Gulio or something. Anyways, um, when I was younger, we were trying to uh, figure out what our last name meant. And these days, you know, with the invention of the internet, it's easy. You can kind of type in what does my, my last name mean. And you can, you can figure out, you can figure out your, your lineage and your heritage and all those things. But back in the 90s, early 90s, as a family, before, before the internet was, was around, we had this place in Sydney you could go to and, and type in your last name and as much as you could, you knew about your heritage. And a couple of hours later, it spit out the meaning of your last name and its heritage and where it's from, everything. Anyway, so we did this and really excited about um, finding out what our last name meant, particularly because I had a friend and his last name meant uh, Defender of Women. I was like, wow, that's an incredible last name. I'd love that last name. And then I, met, I had another friend. His last name meant uh, warrior from the mountains. So I was like, last name's rule. So I was really pumped to find out what my last name meant. I was hoping something like valiant fighter or handsome amongst ugly people, something. <laughs> Just something. So I'm hanging out to find out what our last name meant. And so we, went, we, you know, we, we kind of handed our details and we went around to figure it out. And a couple of, couple of hours later, we went back to the place and you know, we've got it printed. So they, they printed out this beautiful kind of old-fashioned kind of piece of paper and, and, and its meaning. You know, Gulo comes from a Sicilian heritage and okay, we know that from this region of Sicily. Oh, that's interesting. And here comes the meaning. And I'm waiting for like warrior, handsome, you know, something like that. And it, it comes back. Gulo means crippled goat with sawn off horns. <laughs> so... So, really proud of my last name. So as you can imagine, uh, when I was engaged to Chloe, she had a lot of things to say about keeping her maiden name. Uh, she wasn't exactly that appealing. Her maiden name was Ryan, though, and I said, I could never marry a woman with a bloke's last name. So you got to... Anyways, she's not, this isn't being recorded, right? She won't hear this. So, so, so good to be here. Um, land, of, land of the dreamer. Um, Man, if you look, you know, if you look all through history, you will struggle to find a, uh, a celebrated um, historical figure, someone who made some kind of radical change um, in the world, maybe in their nation, maybe in their village, maybe in their home, maybe it came to changing the law, a change in human rights. You will struggle to find someone who made some radical change that it didn't 
first begin with them having some kind of dream about it. And if they looked at the simple reality that they were faced with, it was anything but ideal. And if that's all they had to go with, it would have produced nothing but discouragement. It would have produced some kind of anxiety or depression about the way things were. But the moment you get just a spark of a dream of how things can be, that is sometimes more than enough to be ample fuel for you to take those first initial steps towards action and change. And if you look at the story of most radical historian, most radical historical figures, there will be some story about an early season in their life where they had some kind of radical moment where they were frustrated or they were tired of the status quo and it caused them to dig deep and to start to dream about a better tomorrow. Now we all know what happens, right? If, you, if a dream just stays that, a dream, then nothing will eventually change. Even people who are asleep have dreams, obviously. But a dream that causes you to take some initial steps towards change is something dangerous. And this idea of talking about the land of the dream, I love that you're doing it at the end of a year, because often people love to talk about dreaming and plans and vision and future at the start of a year, but everyone knows we're flat strat, struggling to get kids excited about wearing you know, their new school shoes or something, and at the start of the year, and we all get discouraged because we don't stick to our New Year's resolutions. I think it's important in a season like this to start talking about what's coming up. It's, it's incredibly, incredibly wise decision from your leaders. So, so this idea of being in uh, the land, I love that you call it the land of the dreamer, because often dreamers that are isolated can, can be a bit dysfunctional. And, but if you're in a company of people where together you are committed to doing something great together, then that is significant and that is, that is absolutely powerful. Um, that's why I think marriages that come together in unity about how they dream for their marriage and their children and their family to be, that is something so powerful, that place of agreement there. You would have, your marriage would be the land of the dreamers, like rather than just one person kind of going off by themselves and the other person left at home with reality. That's not, that's not how it works. But a whole company, a whole church together, dreaming together about what we could possibly do with this southeast corner of Queensland, what my marriage could look like, what my children could look like, what I could do with my business, what God has put in my heart. Man, a company like that is something special. So if you're new here and this is your first time to church, man, you've got to keep coming back to here. This is going to be such a great and encouragement, encouraging community for you to find yourself in. And, and so this idea of being in the land of the dreamers, I, I think... I think it's a great thing to, to allow those, those dreams inside of you. Maybe they're just small. Maybe they're minuscule. But one of the most important things is with those dreams is to take that first initial practical step towards them beginning, beginning to happen. Um, and what you'll find, this is what I want to look at today, is, is often when God is preparing our lives to move forward and to start chasing those dreams that He is breathing and birthing inside of your life, you find often, often God has no problems in, in perhaps breaking some of our long-held beliefs and understandings and attitudes that perhaps have kept us tied to our past, and He has no problem in cutting them off in order to release them to our future. And today I want to look at that, that idea, because I... Um, one thing I really ticks me off personally is re- recurring injuries. Does anyone have some kind of recurring injury in their body that they are sick and tired of? And it, it's so fresh. Maybe you're here and you've got some occur- recurring injury in your knee or your ankles and you'd love to get out there and jog and walk and get fit. But it's like every time you do, you're like, it's that stupid knee. It like flares up again. Or 
whatever it might be, you might have that sore shoulder or something, you'd love to hit the gym and you know, build some massive pecs, and, but you just can't because you've got this recurring injury. Perhaps it's some area of study that you're wanting to engage with and hit the books again, but you, maybe it's, it's, you feel like in school some things happen. Maybe you struggle with something like dyslexia or you weren't the most academic person, and so you constantly fall back going, if only I could get over this recurring injury that I have in order that I can keep moving moving forward. And what's funny is about recurring injuries is we can, we can often learn to live with them and to leave them undealt with. So you yourself, you might have like that niggling back issue and you've just learned to create a life around it. You haven't bothered trying to get it fixed or healed or mended. You've just learned to create a world around your injury. Come on, don't we do that, right? And so you can't, we're too busy, there's too much on, I couldn't even bother going to the chiropractor or the physio or the doctor. I know what they're gonna say, they're just gonna hurt me a lot and give me some drugs and it's gonna cost me a fortune. Look, I'm just, I couldn't be bothered. And so we spend our days living life with these recurring injuries. We learn to endure the pain, we learn to kind of overcompensate for the injuries. So maybe you start walking around like this all the time. You know, like, why are you walking weird? No, I'm not walking weird, it's normal, it's fine but you're just overcompensating for an injury. But here's the thing, there eventually comes a point where you realize you have to address that recurring injury. And it's usually at the point when you're wanting to move forward and into something that maybe is gonna require a little extra of you. I know for, for me, last year I, um, I was on a, climbing, a little climbing trip and I injured my back. And it wasn't, it wasn't too bad, it wasn't debilitating, but it was, it was very frustrating. And, I was like, I'm young, I'm fit, I'm agile. My back will just heal itself. And so I just started enduring these, uh, these, this, this back issue, these back pains. And as time went on, weeks turned into months, and then the time kept progressing, and I still had this injured back, which once again, I kind of learned to compensate with, and I could kind of predict when my back was going to flare up every day. And, and so I kind of learned to live with it and make excuses for it. Needless to say, Venture had an invitation to go and do something which I absolutely love doing, and it's snowboarding. A bunch of my friends were like, let's go to Japan, um, to the best snow in the world, and hit the slopes. And I was like, that sounds unbelievable. But I knew there was an issue. There's no way I could have snowboarded with the back injury that I had. And it's funny, as soon as I had something that was gonna require that little bit extra of me, I had no choice but to go back and address that recurring injury. And you will find it's the same with our life. That, that time when there's a dream in our heart and God is calling us to take that initial step that's gonna cost a little bit extra for us to go a little bit further, sometimes it does require us addressing that reoccurring injury that we've learned to live with, that we've learned to tolerate, that we've made excuses for. So what's your recurring injury? Because I'm obviously not talking about physical ailments. I'm talking about maybe matters of your heart, matters of attitude, matters of the mind, maybe your mindset, maybe it's been things you've been stuck in for so long that you've learned to live with and make excuses for and everyone else has got the problem. But in order for you to move forward in the dreams that God has for you, sometime you have to allow God to break those walls of rules which you have put up. If, here's what I totally believe. In order for your life to break records, sometimes you have to be willing to break some rules. And we can often have these rules we have put up in our life. I don't do that. I'm not like that. I'm not that kind of person. But yet we're so eager to move forward in all the dreams God has for us. If you're wanting to break those records, those things you've always dreamed of doing, sometimes you have to be willing to break some rules. So I know for me, for instance, when, I, um, when God first put in my heart this idea of, of being a pastor and, and being some kind of leader, I had kind of like these set box rules of how I thought that was supposed to go. And, 
how church was supposed to be and what an expression of faith was supposed to look like. And I was kind of, I had my set of rules and being in my early 20s, of course, no one could tell me otherwise. I knew what it was all about. And I remember sitting in this, um, I got invited to speak at a school in their school chapel service. It was in a, a Presbyterian, Presbyterian school. Anyone from a Presbyterian background here? Anyone at all? Good on yous, good on yous. So I, this is the first time I ever sat in like a Presbyterian meeting and the chaplain got up and there's obviously all the grade 12 students there. And as I'm, uh, as I'm getting ready to go up and speak, the guy gets up and, and he's like this, this, the minister there and all very traditional and says, we're going to have a private time of prayer and reflection. And I kind of under my breath go, quiet time of prayer and reflection. Prayer is supposed to be loud and, and boisterous, right? Where's your faith? And he goes, so we're just going to take 60 seconds to close our heads and I want you guys to privately reflect and, and to pray. And I was like, oh, geez, this is going to be awkward. So kind of everyone did it, and I'm there, arms folded, and I'm like, oh, this, is, this is really awkward. And then I looked around the room, and I saw all these grade 12 students genuinely engaged authentically in prayer, even though it was quiet. And it arrested me, and then I thought, who said that the way I do it is the only way things are supposed to be done? And there's this incredible presence of God filled this school chapel meeting, and not one word was said. And it it knocked me for six, but I learned that day, man, I have often got these long-held perceptions and ideals about how things should be done. And often for God wanting to move us forward, we have to allow Him to break some rules that we have put up in order for us to break some records. So this is the idea that I'm talking about that day. So I want to read, I want to read one story in the Bible from the book of Acts. We're going to read together from, from chapter 10. In fact, can I show you this picture? It's a picture I sent through just yesterday. It's, uh, I discovered this when I was in Berlin a couple of years ago. My wife and I went through one of the, uh, the World War II museums and we came across this picture. Can you, can you make that out? So you've got a whole lot of, um, whole lot of people doing the, the Nazi symbol and you've got one guy in the middle there with his arms folded. And I absolutely love that. That's the heart of a rule breaker and I think that's fantastic. Every time I see that picture, there we go. Isn't that epic? To me, that perfectly embodies someone who's willing to break the rules in order to break some records. And this is good. Often the land of the dreamer can look like to others and feel like to you. Doesn't it? It's like everyone else is doing this. But anyway, we all know who won in the end. So who's laughing now? So Acts chapter 10, it picks up an interesting point in the story of the church. And here we are 2,000 years later. Uh, on the east coast of Australia, isn't it phenomenal how far the gospel spread across the world? And you could be, you could be in Scandinavia, you could be in the Sahara Desert, you could be, my goodness, in the European Alps, or you can be in the plains of Mongolia or the east coast of Australia, and the gospel message of Jesus Christ still has the power to transform your heart. I love this. And uh, when, it, when it was starting out, though, and, and Jesus first came, ministered, died, and then resurrected, Man, there was like, there were no rules. This is what spun people out. Jesus came to a world that was heavily, heavily marinated in religious rules and observances and practices. And whilst Jesus kept the law, he always broke the rules. And I love that. And he kept showing people, here's what the law of God has showed us, but you've added so many man-made rules on top of this. And Jesus had no problem in offending us in order to point us in the right direction. He'll still keep doing that today. And so Jesus resurrected and, and the church was birthed by about 500 Jewish people who saw his resurrection. The Bible explains in the book of Acts that, uh, that over 500 people saw him. And so out of this, you had this group of people who 
what were you going to do if here's this guy who predicted his own death and resurrection and followed through with it? So what are you supposed to do with that? And so these people were so fired up. So the church began, but there was no, there was no rule book. There was no like, here's how to build a church, you know, in the first century AD. It didn't exist. And so they were kind of scratching their heads. How do we get this message of the gospel? How did, how did this make sense? So it kind of, it started with just the Jews. And then eventually the message started spreading outside of Israel to Samaria. And, and Jews just hated the Samarians. And so then they had to scratch their head and like, how does this, gospel message now relate because we have these long-held prejudices and ideals against Samaritans, but yet God loves them the same way He loves us, and maybe we need to get over our long-held beliefs and ideals, and so God began to break down their, their walls. And then something happened that no one was expecting. People who were Gentiles, so had no Jewish background whatsoever, as far as the Jews were concerned, had no inheritance with the promises of God, they encountered the reality of Christ. And so they were left with, what do we do? Because this is unprecedented. We pick up the story with Peter, who was kind of the head of all the apostles in Acts chapter 10, and we read from verse 25 to 28. It says here, as Peter was coming in Cornelius, Cornelius was a Roman centurion, he was a Roman soldier, centurion, ahead of about 100 soldiers, met him and fell down at Peter's feet and worshipped him. Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I'm also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Verse 28. And Peter said to them, you know how, look at this word, unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So you have to see this, the stage here, right? Peter got brought up in a society that their, their politics, their rules, their religion, everything was based around these religious ideals. And then so part of that, part of what man had added to it was that if you were a Jew, you could have no dealings with anyone who wasn't a Jew. But yet here was Peter confronted with this guy named Cornelius, who was not only not a Jew, but he was a Roman soldier. Now, Roman, Israel at this time, be familiar with history, was occupied by Rome. So these guys weren't just their neighbors who weren't Jews, but they were their enemies. And this guy was hungry to know about Jesus Christ. So Peter walks in and goes, look, all the rules I've been brought up with says I can't even talk to you, but God has shown me that I shouldn't call any man common or unclean. God was wanting to bring the gospel to the ears of the Gentiles. And in order for him to go somewhere it had never been, Peter had to be willing to have his long-held prejudices and ideals broken. So you have to understand, God pulled out the Jewish people intentionally to show the world what he was like. He grabbed Abraham, didn't have wealth, didn't have lands, didn't have an army, didn't have titles, was the most unlikely person. And God said, I'm going to bless you undeservedly to show the world the enormity of my grace, that my favor and my blessing and my goodness, no matter who you are, there's nothing you could do to earn this or deserve this. It's going to be a free gift. But see, this blessing, man-made, kind of got morphed into this idea of racial superiority. And then God goes to Peter, I know you've been brought up in a society that says you're, you're somewhat better than they are. He goes, Peter goes, God's shown me I should not call any man common or unclean. And so these long-held beliefs, or what I like to call recurring injuries, began to break off the life of Peter. Now, it's really interesting. It, um, you'll find it even with, with our own lives and even in church context that we all come with some long-held ideals, perspectives, attitudes, traditions. And they're a, real, they're a real thing. Culture is a real thing. 
tradition is a real thing. But it's interesting, as soon as we put our culture or tradition or attitudes ahead of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we can often find ourselves in a bit shaky ground. And so here's what's fascinating about Peter. Peter had these ideals, not because he was an evil guy, not because he was, um, he was kind of this guy that was rebellious. He had these ideals because he was passionate about who God was. He got brought up in this religious society and he had these kind of convictions on the inside of him about Gentiles and he had them and he believed by having them he was doing God a favor. Sometimes the attitudes we can have, we often think we're doing God a favor by having them. And it's scary because we can come to church and we can be involved in community. Maybe you got brought up in a particular denomination or a particular family, went to a particular religious school that taught you to think a certain way. But you will find time and time again, God has no problem in offending us in order to heal us. And you'll find He'll continually put you in environments that will maybe offend your custom or offend your culture or offend your attitude if that means healing your reoccurring injury. And if you're open and humble and transparent and teachable enough, we will let go of our long-held ideals in order to hold on to the King of Kings. Oh, man. And I said, this is kind of like, oh, this is, this is pretty heavy stuff, like a Sunday morning in Redcliffe. Like, come on, Johns, chill out. But we're talking about the land of the dreamer, right? And, and if, you, if you, these dreams that God puts in your heart, if honestly you're wanting to chase them and go after them, sometimes you need to be willing to have your long-held rules shattered. Like, for example, okay, once upon a time, um, I didn't look like the man you see standing in front of you, okay? I was, I was about 20 kilos heavier. And growing up in high school, my nickname was Tubster. Yes, yeah, so thank you for laughing. It's still a recurring injury inside of me. And then one day I was cursed with seeing a movie called Troy with Brad Pitt. You might have seen it. And that pretty much the whole movie, Brad Pitt runs around with his shirt off, showing his eight-pack, covered in oil and sweat. I remember going home from that, some of you got this image, come back, come back, come on. Um, I remember coming home that night and, and uh, taking a good, long, hard look in the mirror. And I went, something's got to change. So I could dream all I want, right? Not that I was dreaming about Brad Pitt, but I could dream all I want. But here's the thing, I knew I, knew I had to allow some changes. I had to actually make some practical rules. Now, one of those rules was I realized I needed to exercise, I needed to start jogging. But I was not a jogger. So I could not jog. I, I, in school, I never jogged. I never grew up jogging. I'm not a good jogger. I'm just, I can't jog. The rule I had. So one day I was like, I can either hold on to that rule forever and ever and ever, and it'll hold me back, and all I would do is just be dreaming. But even sleeping people dream. So I decided I'm going to put on my dad's old jogging shoes, and I got up and started running. I had to start breaking my rules. If you want to break some records, you got to be willing to break some rules. Um, you know, it's funny. Too often look at what Jesus preached and Jesus taught. So often he was simply addressing the long-held rules that people had. And, and we all have them, you know. We, and they're not sinister. They're not always evil. They're not bad. But they're just sometimes these... These, this is how I do things and this is the way things are. And they're not bad in and of themselves often, but sometimes they can be preventative from us pursuing the dreams that God has for us. I remember this one, one thing, I remember this one thing because I was there when Jesus said it. Um, 
Jesus said in, in Matthew 5, I think we've got it on the screens here, 43 to 44. I think we've got it. Yeah. Okay, Jesus starts with this line. He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. So Jesus is essentially saying, you've been brought up in an environment that has taught you one thing. You've been brought up with religious teachers. You've been brought up in a community. You've brought up with parents. You have heard that it was said. You've been taught this one way of thinking, this one way of approaching, this one way of engaging with the world. And then he, he kind of shifts gears and says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So he's talking to this group of Jewish Israelite 2,000 years ago. And he said, I know you guys have been brought up with a certain custom. You guys have been taught certain beliefs and traditions and understanding. But I now want to break those rules that you have been taught. You're seeing this, right? And he said, you've been taught. Love your neighbor. So these people that are in your world for your safety and for your benefit, they're the ones you want to be nice to. But those who aren't that, those who are your enemies, hate them. Now, funnily enough, that was love your, love your neighbors was always in Jewish Torah, so written Old Testament law. Hating your enemies wasn't. It was something that was added. And this is what often can happen in our lives. Something that began as God breathed can morph into man-made. Did you catch that? Something, sometimes God might breathe something into your spirit, something that is straight from his heart, straight from scripture and in line with the life of Jesus Christ. But we can often love to add our man-made rules on top of it. So Jesus comes and goes, this part is correct, but I want to correct this other side of you. Now, now that's one thing, okay? This is great. Love, love your enemies, Jesus. really nice. We might not totally get what that means. But 2,000 years ago, saying it to an Israelite whose nation was occupied by the Roman Empire, that was a scandalous thing to say. Love the Romans. But, so it's like, okay, Jesus, that's nice preaching, very good. But here was Peter, confronted with Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion. And he's like, I now, have a, I now have a choice to make. I'm either going to hold on to the ideals and the traditions and the customs I've been brought up with, my rules. But God is often obviously wanting to bring his gospel to the Gentiles. I have to be willing to have my rules broken right now and follow Christ and love my enemy. And often for us to engage with the future dreams God has for us, we have to allow our reoccurring injuries to be healed. So what are your recurring injuries? What are those things in your life that you have learned to live with, that you've learned to adjust to, that you've learned to compensate with, make excuses for? And those dreams in your heart will always stay hidden there instead of being able to make that first step. Maybe today there's some practical recurring injury that you've been ignoring for ages. Perhaps it's this area of that just stirs you up and gets you angry as soon as someone raises it. Maybe you need to be willing to go, God, I've got an issue here I've hung on to for years. I'm willing to let it go. Maybe it's been an attitude. Maybe you've been like suspicious of, and rightly so, maybe of leaders and people in church life and you've hung on to these ideals and attitudes and God's saying, I get that, but in order for you to move forward, maybe you have to be willing to have some of your rules, your rules broken. For Peter being able to speak into the lives of Gentiles, he had to have some of his rules changed and broken. Here's, here's really interesting about the life of Peter, is prior to this, he, um, Peter had this dream, and it's pretty amazing in the dream, um, there was all these like, the Bible says that he had this dream of a big sheet, like kind of like a, imagine like a bed sheet, and all these kind of like animals came all over it, and according to Jewish custom, they were all like unclean, you could not eat them, and, but yet God spoke to him in the dream and said, 
I want you to eat these animals, kill them and eat them. And Peter's saying, I've never done anything like that. And God says, what I've cleansed, don't you call common. Or, or in other words, where I'm leading you, don't allow your long-held traditions and customs to hold you back. But here's what we can often miss from this story. We're going to read, we're going to, can we read from verse 3, I think it's verse 3 to verse 6 of Acts chapter 10. And Peter was in this certain environment, it's quite interesting. It says here, about the ninth hour of the day, this is where he had the vision, um, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in saying to him, Cornelius, sorry, this is, which part am I reading from here? Um, can we go to verse 5? I think this is what I'm looking for. Here we go. This is a dream that God's giving to, Joppa, to Cornelius, who is a Roman soldier. He told him to send men to Joppa, which is a town by the sea, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea, and he will tell you what you must do. So we read from the story that Peter was staying in a guy's house named Simon, and Simon's profession was a tanner, and he lived in a town called Joppa. Two things I want to point out from this, and I'll finish. First is this, Simon's profession. He was a tanner. Anyone know what a tanner is? Yeah, no, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a guy with the sunbeds getting his tan on his skins, mate. They didn't have it around, mate. Joking. What is it? Yeah, right. So it essentially works with leather in many ways, which, once again, according to Jewish custom, you couldn't work with dead animals. But here's this guy who overtly his profession was working with cowhide, with dead animals, and there is now Simon hanging in this guy's house. So you see, it's almost like God was setting Peter up for a heart change. He hadn't yet encountered an enemy yet. He hadn't encountered Cornelius, a Roman soldier. He wasn't yet confronted like that. But here he was, God, you can almost see like God was softening his heart and had him in an environment that was already causing him to break down some of his rules. And you will find this is the heart of God often to us. He will continually put you in environments that will cause you to have your rules challenged and broken. And even being in church today for some of you might be challenging all your ideals. Maybe the way church is being done, it's, it's a lot more modern and maybe that the, the communication's different, the songs are different. Maybe that's making your skin crawl because it's breaking all your rules. God loves you enough to keep putting you in environments that will keep bringing up that reoccurring injury you have until you allow it to get healed and dealt with in the name of Jesus, right? Which is pretty cool. So you can imagine Peter being here and he's like, Simon's preparing the dinner and Peter's looking at his hands going, you're just dealing with like dead animals. And he's like, God bless you, thank you, yummy, you know, lovely fish. But here's the clincher and, I'll, and I'll, I want to finish with, with this thought and we'll pray. He was staying in Simon's house, Satana, in a town called Joppa. And it was in this town, Joppa, that God spoke to Peter God had used Peter to bring the gospel, the first preach to all the Jews after the resurrection of Christ. Then God used Peter to minister to the Samaritans to heal that schism between Jew and Samaritans. And now God wanted to use Peter for unmarked territory, which was bringing the gospel to Gentiles. And so God speaks to him in this place. And it was in this town, I think this is so significant, in this town called Joppa. About 700 years before this moment, an uh, incredible feat happened, an incredible historic event took place in the town of Joppa. And Peter, being a good Jewish boy, would have been pretty familiar with this story because it was about a prophet named Jonah. And a lot of you guys would have heard this story. If you'd read your Bible, maybe grow up in kids' church, you would have heard this about Jonah and the whale. And, but the story goes that God called Jonah to go and minister to a whole bunch of Gentiles in, in a particular city and to bring 
the message of God to these people who had no promise, no share with the Hebrew, with the Jews at all. God gave Jonah this commission to do it. And it was at the town of Joppa we had a decision to make, either to be obedient and to take this message to people who have never heard it. But Jonah, unfortunately, decided to go the other way. And I find it so interesting that it was in this town, Joppa, that God then again came to a Jew and said, I want you to bring my message to the Gentile people. And it was almost like God wanted to take back Joppa, where he first asked one of his people, will you take my message to people who have never heard it before? And 700 years prior, a guy bowed on it because it went against, he was like, I'm not going to those people that goes against all my rules, that go against all my customs, all my upbringing. Those people don't deserve it. Why should I do it? And it's like God said, I want to reclaim this town again. And in that very same town, 700 years later, God spoke to Peter and said, will you now take my message to the Gentile peoples? And Peter allowed God to get a hold of his heart and he reclaimed Joppa. And I believe in all of our hearts and our lives and these dreams that God is putting inside of us, we could either have a Jonah kind of response where we refuse to confront our long-held beliefs and customs and prejudices and attitudes. And God's going, there's so much new areas I'm wanting to push your life. Are you willing to have your rules broken or run the other way? But I believe God was doing something in our hearts like that happened with Peter and said, you know, I might have been brought up this one way, but God has shown me something different. And City Point Church, I am believing for your 2016, that those dreams that are maybe only seed form in your heart right now, you would be willing to have your rules broken, your man-made, morphed ideals that might not be evil, that might not be ungodly, but willing to have them broken in order for God to break some records. Amen? That's what I'm believing for your life. I think, I think the records in this city that are waiting to be smashed, we can't even imagine what they are. I honestly think what God is willing to do in your marriage and in your children's lives, in your home, in your career, and the things God has put in your life are well beyond things that maybe you could have even dreamed. But if you are willing to have some of your rules broken, maybe, just maybe, you'll be able to break some records. It's what I'm believing for your life. It's what I'm believing hands down for this church. I know one thing this church does not have a shortage of is dreams for the future. Maybe to come up on board with this journey as we move forward, you've got to allow some of your rules to be broken. So what I'd love to do this morning is I would love us to, to pray together. Maybe, here we go, here's something. Maybe let's take 30 seconds out to do some quiet reflection. <laughs> maybe, let's do that, right? Let's take a moment. So why don't we bow our heads and maybe if God just touched something on your heart, you're like, man, you've held on to this for too long and it's been holding you back and I want you to break some records. Will you allow this rule to be broken? God will often want to offend you in order to heal you. What is that area? Maybe today you just need to lift it to God and humbly go, here it is. Here it is, I surrender it, God. Sometimes you feel like it could be I'm turning my back on my upbringing or I'm turning my back on. This is how I've always done it. But if this is gonna be the land of the dreamers, I do know that the world is dying for the church to walk in the dreams that God has given it. For your life, there's so much future, there's so much potential, there's so much hope. There's so much room for God to do things in and through your life. God, I thank you this morning for healing those recurring injuries in our heart. Maybe the things that have been there since we were young, since we were kids. 
Maybe the things that have happened recently. Maybe it's things that are because of what someone else has done to us. Maybe it's been because of a disappointment or our expectations weren't met. God, I pray this morning as we humble our lives before you and open up our hearts that you right now you would do the healing in those recurring injuries. No longer tolerating these injuries. No longer making excuses for them. No longer overcompensating for them. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. That's why all the heads about and eyes closed for just one more minute. Maybe you're new here this morning and it's like the first time you've ever heard the message of Jesus Christ talked about and maybe you don't get everything right now, but just a few things started to just almost make sense to you. Maybe, maybe you've come a few times and you've been getting your head around it and you might have a whole lot of questions, but yet something inside of you is going, man, I, I, need to grab, I need to grab a hold of this. And this morning, we're gonna pray a, a prayer all together as a church. And just why heads about it. But if, if you're like that in this, in this room this morning, and I don't know how it is you came to be in church today, but you're wanting to make your own personal decision to get right with God. Maybe you've made a million bad decisions in your life. You are only ever one decision away from making the best decision ever. And what I'd love to do, just before we all pray together, if you want to make your own personal decision to get your life right with God and accept Jesus Christ and have your life totally renewed and transformed, could I quickly see your hand up high this morning? I'll acknowledge you. You can put it straight down. God bless you, buddy. Thank you. God bless you as well. Well done, mate. Anyone else here this morning? That's so good. God bless you too. Thank you so much. So great. No one can make this decision for you. This is something I know eventually we all have to come to that point in our own life. And make it personal. Is there anyone else here that look across? I don't know what your story is or how you came to be here. I do know God loves you and has a great future for you. Maybe you made this decision once in your life many years ago and this morning you found yourself here and like going, man, I've been doing anything but following Christ and you want to recommit your life back to Him. If that's you as well, could I see your hand up high? I'd love to have to pray with you and lead you in a prayer, committing your life to Jesus. Anyone else here this morning? Friend, God loves you so much. He has such an incredible future for you. Your past doesn't disqualify you. In fact, it almost qualifies you. It's for you that Jesus came. He came to mend a broken heart to forgive the sinner, like me and like you. Anyone else here last time with look across? I'd hate for you to go home today without getting your life right with the God who loves you so much. Okay, why don't we all pray this prayer out loud together? And if you're one of those people that put up your hands, I want you to pray this as if you were the only person in the room. Come on, all together. Dear God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for accepting me. I receive you today with all of my mistakes, with all of my past. Thank you for loving me right now. I'm yours forever. Amen. Come on, why don't you appreciate all those people that made that great decision. That is unbelievable.